0: in Genesis for quite a while now, and um, we are at the tail end of Abraham's life, and so we've been traveling with Abraham for quite some time now, um, and here in chapter 23, it's the it's the end of Sarah's life, as is recorded in Scripture, his wife, uh, but Abraham's life will soon end in Scripture as well, and so we have Just a little bit more to learn from his life and put into practice in our own walk with the Lord. So let's stand together as we read God's word. We're going to read the whole chapter, uh, chapter 23. And so stand with me if you're able. And we're going to hear God's word. Starting there in verse 1. Sarah lived to be 127 years old. She died at Kirath Arba which, or sorry, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went to mourn for Sarah and to weep over her. Then Abraham rose from beside his dead wife and spoke to the Hittites. He said, I am an alien and a stranger among you. Sell me some property for a burial site here so I can bury my dead. The Hittites replied to Abraham, Sir, listen to us. You are a mighty prince among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our tombs. None of us will refuse you his tomb for burying your dead. Then Abraham rose and bowed down before the people of the land, the Hittites. He said to them, if you are willing, let me bury my dead. Then listen to me and intercede with Ephron, son of Zoar, on my behalf. So he will sell me the cave of Machpelah, which belongs to him and is at the end of this field. Ask him to sell it to me for the full price as a burial site among you. Ephron the Hittite was sitting among his people, and he replied to Abraham in the hearing of all the Hittites who had come to the gate of his city, "'No, my lord,' he said, "'listen to me. I give you the field, and I will give you the cave that is in it. I give it to you in the presence of all my people. Bury your dead.'" Again, Abraham bowed down before the people of the land, and he said to Ephron in their hearing, "'Listen to me, if you will.'" I will pay the price of the field, accept it from me so I can bury my dead there. Ephron answered Abraham, listen to me, my lord, the land is worth 400 shekels of silver, but what is that between me and you? Bury your dead. Abraham agreed to Ephron's terms and weighed out for him the price he had named in the hearing of the Hittites, 400 shekels of silver, according to the weight current among the merchants. So Ephron's field in Machpelah, near Mamre, both the field and the cave in it, and all the trees within the borders of the field, was deeded to Abraham as property in the presence of all the Hittites, who who had come to the gate of the city. Afterward, Abraham buried his wife Sarah in the cave in the field at Machpelah, near Mamre, which is at Hebron, in the land of Canaan. So the field and the cave in it were deeded to Abraham by the Hittites as a burial site. Uh, The word of the Lord. You guys can take a seat. So I was thinking about this text, and uh, maybe because I'm a parent, um, I think about kids a lot. Um, Can't help but really doing that, but one of the things that kids have a hard time with is waiting. Okay, grown-ups do too, but we're not going to be hard on the grown-ups today. But kids in particular have a very hard time waiting. And I was thinking about this, and in particular, kids have a hard time waiting for a promise that was given to them by their parents. What do I mean by that? Well, the kid, lots of times, hears that promise, and they think that just because my parents said this, it's going to happen right now and they're gonna drop everything and do what I want, right? And so parents can accept this, and uh, it's happened a lot. And, and when it doesn't happen on their timeline, you get the famous, the famous uh, phrase from your child, but you said, right? <laughs> I've had that happen to me all the time. But you said, Dad. Yes, I did say that. But that doesn't mean that I was going to drop everything that I was doing and do it right then and there. But nevertheless, kids have a hard time facing, so do adults. We have a hard time waiting for promises to come true, and as we've been studying the life of Abraham, we realize that there was a long time where he was waiting on God, and for Abraham, waiting faithfully over and over and over again, many years that he waited on the promises of God to be fulfilled. But this morning, as we study here in Genesis chapter 23, we're going to see that because God is always faithful to make good on his promises and always according to his timeline, that we should patiently wait and take steps of faith accordingly. And so you and I have a lesson to learn here from the life of Abraham, okay? And a lesson about waiting patiently on the Lord as he has promised to do work in our lives. So, this morning we're going to take a, a look at this kind of a kind of reverse order. First, we're going to look at Abraham as he acts on and tastes the promises of God. So, let's look here at Genesis 23. See, this record here is the end of Sarah's life. Okay, so Sarah, we've, we've walked with her for a while too. Uh, she had her name changed from Sarai to Sarah. And uh, she had this promise also that she was waiting on for years upon years upon years. And then finally, God gives them Isaac, right? The promised child that they were waiting on for years. But this text here is not really about Sarah and her legacy. Right. Sometimes we look at a person's life and we see what God has done throughout their life, throughout the period of time. This is not really a legacy of Sarah, but nor, nor is it really a, a mourning time for Abraham in this text. He does mourn. The text does say that. But really what this text is about is Abraham securing a place to bury his wife. So he is acting on the promises of God in particular, in the, the promise of a land, as we're going to explore here in a minute. This is a fulfillment of that promise in just a little bit of a taste. So as we read moments ago, Abraham is now living in Canaan, where the Hittites live. Okay, And if you remember, God had promised Abraham and his descendants the promised land, the land of Canaan. Okay? The land of Canaan was full of people. The Hittites were one of the people living there. And so it wasn't quite his yet, okay? There were people living in this land, and he was walking by faith, and he was going uh, step by step, trusting God to the very next time in his life. And so he approaches the Hittites after his wife has died. He has mourned, and he has realized that he needs to bury his wife. And so he approaches the Hittites here in verse 4, saying, I am a sojourner and a foreigner among you. Give me property for a burying place that I may bury my dead out of my sight. See, Abraham from the very beginning when he left his homeland, he realized that he was a sojourner, right? A sojourner is someone that's a traveler, right? They don't have a home. They're traveling from one place to the other. They're just pilgrims passing. A sojourner, a traveler in search of a new home Or as one person put it when I was studying the text, an immigrant, right? He shares a lot of similarities with immigrants. He's not in his homeland. He's walking by faith, trusting God. Even though he can't see all the details in front of him, he decides step by step to trust in the Lord. Hebrews 11, to which Pastor and Santa and I have been going back to often, helps us to understand the life of Abraham. And so if you remember in verse 13, it says this, These all died in faith. Talking about the men and women of faith. Not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on this earth. See, Abraham knew he was a stranger. He knew he was an exile, a foreigner. He knew that as good as this world was, much as the blessings that he had received from God this was not his true home but he knew that it would not always be this way because he was holding on to a promise we've been talking about he was holding on to the best type of promise he was holding on to a promise from God that's the best type of promise that you and I could ever have because we know that with God a promise made is what A promise kept right a promise made with God is a promise kept that may not always be in in the world that we live in and the people that we interact with even ourselves we may not always keep our promises and yet we know God always keeps his promises but we are in the same boat here as Abraham we are strangers we're exiles we're sojourners in a foreign land as it were We shouldn't get too comfortable in this world. There should be a little bit of of strangeness to this world. We should be a little bit strange to other people in some ways. Not that we have to go out of our way to intentionally show that we're strange, but we are to be a little bit strange in this world, right? This is not our true home. We await a heavenly home, as Hebrews 11 says. We too, like Abraham, are looking forward with only ever a taste of what is yet to come, only ever a taste. See, over and over again in the New Testament, we see this theme of being exiles and strangers and foreigners in this world. Let me give you one example from 1 Peter 2.11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your souls. So here we are reminded not to get too comfortable. We're reminded that the passions that used to rule us because we were a part of this world are no longer to rule us because we are not of this world anymore, though we are in this world. God tells us over and over again to enjoy the gifts that he has given us, but for us to remember that these are only ever a taste. I've been thinking about this a lot this week. And how hard it is to believe in the moment that the best things that God gives us are still even only ever a taste. Think about that for a minute. We have so many good things that God has given us here on this earth. You know, one of the things we just prayed for, all the freedoms that we enjoy in this country. But we could go on and on about the blessings that God has given us. And yet how often those small things become idols. Those small things actually end up replacing God and becoming more important than him. We forget about the giver of the gift and we think about the gift itself, right? How often it is that we stop longing for our heavenly home, which is infinitely better than anything you and I could ever taste in this earth. We're reminded here from the life of Abraham that we are strangers. We are pilgrims passing. Maybe some of those things need to be right-sized in your life, reproportioned, where it comes back to not an idol, but a, 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 a promise or a, a good blessing to receive from God, to give God the glory, but to know it's only ever a taste. But there's more going on here than I think than a man trying to find a place to bury his wife. Let's go back to remembering the story here of Abraham. God promised Abraham two things, right? He promised him a land, And he promised him what? A people, right? A land and a people. The promised land, which we've already talked about, but he also promised him a people, which Isaac was the beginning of that promise coming to pass. And so we've seen that promise coming to pass. And now we see that through the purchase of a burial plot for his wife, that this promise of a land is starting to come into fruition. It's a small uh, uh, fulfillment, but it still is a fulfillment Nonetheless. And interestingly, here in Genesis 23, it's mostly centered around Abraham's trying to secure this place to bury his wife. Verses 3 through 18 are devoted to this. But as we've said before, the land is still full of people. He's a stranger there, it's not his homeland. The Hittites are there as well as other people. But the Hittites have great respect for him. Do you notice what they they call him here? And what they say to him, they say, have your pick, Abraham. Wherever you want to bury her, that is fine. Have the choices of our tombs. No one's going to stop you. So they recognize that he, there was something different about Abraham. There was something special about him. Though they themselves didn't worship the one true God. So Abraham picks out the king of Machpelah, owned by a man named Ephron. And Ephron agrees to even give this cave to him for free. And think about this for a minute, right? Burial costs are expensive, especially in our day, right? It costs a lot of money. You've got to have almost insurance to bury your dead, right? Because it costs so much money. But why would Abraham refuse a free burial plot? Think about that for a minute. Was it out of pride? Not wanting to take a handout? Or was it maybe wanting to be above reproach and not having anyone able to later accuse him of doing something shady or receiving Without paying for it. Maybe it was wanting to pay a fair price out of conviction, right? You're giving me something, I want to pay for a right price, a just price for you. See, the text doesn't really come out and tell us why Abraham refuses. But one commentator he points to something that I think is important for us to see. He he compares it to the event back in Genesis chapter 14. And if you remember there, Abraham similarly rejects a gift from the king of Sodom, okay? Remember Sodom and Gomorrah back there? And this, he rejects this gift from him that would make him rich. And why did he do that? Well, the commentator says here it fits well with one of the themes of the book of Genesis. It says that he says this, God, not man, was the source of Abraham's hope and blessing. Wherever possible, the writer seizes the opportunity to show that the patriarchs came by their possessions of the land fairly and that it was a gift of God and not those who were dwelling in the land at the time so Abraham goes out of his way to buy this burial ground for his wife and not receive it freely so that God can get what all the glory that God can be the hero of the story not the king of Sodom not Ephron and not any Hittite or anyone else could be the hero of the story. He doesn't nickel and dime the guy. He just says, name your price. He takes the 400 shekels and he says, okay, that's, that's okay. That's, I'll pay that fair price. God was making good on his promises to his servant Abraham. And he was doing that through the small purchase of this piece of the promised land. See, sometimes God calls us to patiently wait on promises to come to pass. One of the songs that we often sing here is Be Still, God Will Fight Your Battles. And I love that song, right? We we say, Be still, God Will Fight Your Battles. Keep praying, but be still, God Will Fight Your Battles. But other times in Scripture, there are times where we are called to act on our faith, where we are called to act on the promises of God, and this is one of them, right? So the be still didn't really apply here. It was the go and do. Right. He went and purchased this land. And it was part of the fulfillment of the promise that God made to Abraham. So how do we tell the difference? Right. How do we know when we're supposed to be still and rest in the promises of God versus the times that we're supposed to step out in faith and move forward? Well, that's where our walk with the Lord comes in you know, such great importance. Right. As we are walking with God, as we are regularly taking time to be in his word Time to be in prayer, time to meet as believers like we're doing this morning. He makes his will clear, right? That's how we discern what God's will is. We often ask, what is God's will for X, Y, and Z? What is, my job or my kids are going through a situation. What does God want from me? And really, it's not rocket science. In a way, we seek the Lord in prayer. We get to his word. We talk to God's people. And through that whole process, he makes those things clear. And so sometimes... He calls us to be still and God's going to work that out for us. I don't know how he's going to work that out, but he's going to work it out. And other times, just like Abraham, we're called to act on the promises of God. He promised Abraham and Abraham said, "Okay, I'm going to step out in faith and I'm going to receive part of this promised land through this transaction. But, you know, also here, Abraham wasn't just merely a stranger in Canaan. But one of the things I noticed here was he was a stranger with authority. He was a stranger with respect. He was a stranger with honor. Because you know why? He knew who he served. He served God Almighty, right? Therefore, he didn't have to worry, you know, what, were these people going to give me a place to bury my wife? He knew who he served. And therefore, that reflected itself in his actions. He could step out in faith With authority, not as a a tyrannical leader, but with authority to say, no, I serve the God most high. He's going to provide a way for his promise to come to pass. He wasn't sheepish about asking for this plot of land. And I think there's a question there for us to think about. Do we recognize who we serve? As we are walking out in faith, are we as we act out on the promises of God, do we know who we serve and does that show it in the way that we carry ourselves? We serve God Almighty. That should give us a confidence and an authority as we go about walking by faith and not by sight. You know, as I think about the life of Abraham as a whole, one of the things I think about constantly is the struggle with God's timing. See, Abraham, time and time again, he was actually the example of faith, right? He was the example of a person who waited on God, who was trusting in God, even though all things that he saw with his eyes were to the contrary. And yet, if I were in a situation, I know that I would have trouble waiting on God's timing. Trouble asking God when. Just as often as the kid asks, are we there yet, on a long car trip, right? They ask that over and over and over again. Regularly, I have to go to North Carolina, to visit family and supporters. And my, fam- my kids are asking me, are we there yet? No, we just left New Jersey. Are we there yet? No, we just left Maryland, okay? And then you get to Virginia and forget it. You know, you've got to go through there for a real long time. Um, so the when question keeps coming. Uh, but for us, we have trouble waiting on the promises of God and his timeline. And Abraham, though, many times, sure, he messed up here and there, but many times he's held up as the example of waiting and walking by faith. One more quote for us to sum up this section. It says this, in this small purchase was embodied the hope in God's promises that one day in the future it would all belong to him and to his descendants. So in this, Abraham looked out on the land that God had promised him and said, God's going to make good on his promise. And this is just a sliver of that promise. Remember, for Abraham, it was only ever a taste. He would never experience the full promised land, nor would the people after him. Hebrews 11 tells us that promised land is still to come. Only ever a taste. And yet he was still acting on that faith in that small little way. Well, with that in mind, this takes us to our second and final point here from Genesis 23, that God fulfills his promises on his timeline and not ours. God fulfills his promises on his timeline and not ours. See, again and again in our study of Genesis, and really you could say the whole of the Old Testament, that God makes promises and God keeps promises. That's a good way to understand the breakup of the Old Testament to the New Testament. Uh, I remember reading about this one time. Promises made and promises kept, right? Again and again, God says he's going to do something, and he keeps that promise. Think about it, for example, in the life of Abraham. Back in Genesis 12, God promises a people, and then decades later, Genesis 21, God gives Abraham the first step, a son, right? He doesn't give him the whole thing. He just provides the one step. Then back in Genesis 12, God promises a land. And now, decades later, here in Genesis chapter 23, what does he do? He provides a little piece of that land. Just like he said, it may not always be what you think that he's going to do, when he's going to do it, but he provides just like he said. Verse 19 and 20, After this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field of Machpelah, east of Mamre, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. The field and the cave that is in it were made over to Abraham as property for a burying place for the Hittites. There's two things I want to point out here real quick as we draw to a close. God fulfills his promises first and foremost. We've been saying that over and over again, but the Bible repeats that, so I feel okay repeating that over and over again. There's somebody in here that needs to hear that God always keeps his promises, even if it's just me. But I know it's not. Right. God always keeps his promises. Even when we struggle to believe that he still keeps his promise. Even when we only see a part of that promise come to pass, he's still keeping his promises. God provided a place for Abraham to bury his wife, just like he said he was going to. You know, I think about with how prone our hearts are to unbelief with how prone we are to doubt, with how prone we are to just be all boiled up with anxiety about the problems in our life, for the problems in the life, for the ones that we love. This passage reminds us that God keeps his promises, that God keeps his word, that he is going to be faithful even when everything in our life looks to the contrary. When our whole life is falling apart, God is still Faithful, Even when the devil comes and say, did God really say X, Y, and Z? Or when our flesh starts to creep up and say, God's not going to pull through for you. This is one of the promises that we can pull out of our arsenal and say, no. God was faithful to brother Abraham. He's going to be faithful to me. And that's when you preach to yourself and say, Peter, believe the promises of God. We've got to preach to ourselves. Otherwise, The the flesh is going to be preaching to ourselves, and we're going to start believing lies over the truth. That's why it's so important for us to feed ourselves, to feed our faith on the promises of God, just like this one. Add this to your arsenal. Add this to your your repertoire of weapons to fight the devil as he pops his ugly head up. You can use this promise here from, from Genesis chapter 23. And the second thing we see here is that God does it on his timeline and not Abraham's. See, we may all say amen to, to God fulfilling his promises, right? We love that truth. But then the truth that he does it on his timeline and not ours, well, you might not get so many amens, okay? okay? Right? We want what we want now. It's not just a problem with kids. It's a problem with adults and everybody wants what they want now. We don't like to wait. And yet many times we have to wait. The sooner we believe that we are are pilgrims, that that we are supposed to be content as pilgrims joyfully on this journey and trusting God to do what he says he's going to do, the sooner we believe that, the more joyful we're going to be, the more content we're going to be. Here in Genesis 3, God doesn't give Abraham the full land, but only ever a piece. And we know that's all he would ever get. And yet, Hebrews 11 says that he was looking forward to a time where he would receive the full promised land. I think about what peace we often forfeit, what peace we often forgo when we worry, when we remain bitter about God's timing. Think about that. When God doesn't do something, when we want him to do it, how much peace we give up. How much joy we give up or contentment that we give up. By not resting in the timeline of God versus our own timeline. God will make good on his promises. We don't have to doubt that. And he will do it on his timeline. And the sooner that you and I accept that, the better it will be. The more able we will be to walk by faith and not by sight. We see that here in the life of Abraham. You know, we only have about a chapter or two left in the life of Abraham. In fact, one person pointed out that these are the last words that we have from Brother Abraham in Scripture. The next chapter will deal with his um, death. Or sorry, the two chapters after that will deal with his death. But he is a man that walked by faith. That's why all over the New Testament it says, just like Abraham walked by faith, so you too walk by faith. And he teaches us that God is always faithful to do his will on his timeline and not ours. And he shows us how to walk by faith. He doesn't always do it perfectly, just like you and I don't do it perfectly. But the way that he did it, the way that you and I do it, is that we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Just as Hebrews 12 would say after Hebrews 11, all these people, how do they live by faith? They set their eyes on Jesus. And that's how they walked by faith, not perfectly, right? We'll never walk by faith perfectly. There will be ups and downs, just like there was in Abraham's life, ups and downs. Times when he walked by sight and not by faith. And yet, as we experience the gospel afresh and anew early in the service, we, we set our minds that God forgives our sins, that he's always there to give us a second chance. He's always there to give us help, to pursue on, to keep fighting the battle that's before us. The same is true for us today. Fix your eyes on Jesus. That's the only way that you and I will ever complete the race before us. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.